This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I'm very happy to have on the show Haley Moss. Um, Haley Moss, I will just uh, say, just introduced herself to me as, you know, just another 24-year-old kid. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot more about Haley as we talk this morning. So Haley, good morning. Thanks for being on the show. Good morning, Eliza. Thank you so much for having me. You're you're welcome. I um, This is the first time we've talked and... Um, one of the I know I know that there's a few things we're going to hit on today. I know you're a published author. I know that you are you've been admitted to the Florida Bar, Bar Association, which is a, a great accomplishment for uh, I think any 24 year old, and um, and uh, certainly want to hear about your experiences there. But one of the other notes I have about you is that you were the first quote unquote openly autistic person to be admitted to the Florida Bar, Bar Association. So if you don't mind, can we start with you describing what that means? Absolutely. It's a question that I get a lot, and I was actually very happy to get to write about it as well for HuffPost. And what being openly autistic means is, as you know, some of us who may have fewer support needs are might often pass as neurotypical. Mm-hmm. That's something that we do, and we're not open about our diagnoses for whatever the reason may be. We might be trying not to stim. We might be trying not to act a certain way or come off as neurotypical just because there is this widespread negative stigma of autism and also discrimination. I don't have that. I don't do that. I am very proud to be exactly who I am. Being openly autistic means that I could celebrate being myself. It means that I have the freedom to be who I am. Mm-hmm. It means that you take it or leave it. And honestly, that's something that I'm very proud of. And it's something that I wish I saw more, especially in professional spaces, too, because as we know, autism has one of the highest unemployment rates of all disability. Yes. So I think being openly autistic is a huge privilege that I'm able to do that. And I hope that it does help to continue to break the stigma. Okay. So you've, you've, uh, as you said, you were going to unpack that and you certainly did. So we have a couple of avenues to to follow up on now. Um, Mm -hmm. First of all, I guess uh, let's talk about what you mentioned about unemployment um, and also the rates of autism. This show that you're on right now is called one in 59 because one in 59 Mm -hmm. is the current statistic of children in the United States who are diagnosed with autism. Um, Mm -hmm. The rate is even higher for, for boys. And there's lots of conjecture and discussion about why that might be the case. I don't know that we're going to go there today. But given that statistic, it's one out of 59 children. And then you're also a young adult entering the workforce um, Mm -hmm. after, I think, going through quite a bit of of schooling. What is your experience, whether for yourself or maybe peers of yours, people that you know, in terms of that issue with employment? Because it's something that, that we talk about a lot. I know there's efforts being made in a lot of ways to address it, but where, where do you think the core sort of obstacle really lies? I think the disconnect really does come from the employer standpoint, more so than the employee. I could speak for a lot of friends who are actively searching for jobs, and it's not as Temple Grandin once said that autistic adults just need to get their butts out of the house and get a job. That's oversimplifying the very nuanced and complex issues regarding unemployment for autistic people, especially our adults. It's not as simple as I'm just going to go up and get a job. Mm-hmm. I am employed. I'm gainfully employed. I work in a law firm. I'm an associate attorney at Zimpano Patricia's here in Miami. It's a mid-sized firm. I practice in healthcare and international law. It's very exciting stuff, but I can't say that's true for everybody on the spectrum, that we all have these jobs that match our educational backgrounds or even what we're interested in. Mm-hmm. I think the disparity comes at the employer level more so than the employee level. It's not that people on the spectrum are unwilling to work. I think that very much casts us 
further propels this negative stereotype and stigma that we have to face every day. Mm-hmm. I think what really seems to happen is that employers don't realize that, one, we're good at what we do. We're good employees. We want to do a good job. And two, generally with disability in hiring efforts, one, we don't fall under this diversity and inclusion thing. Disability, as a friend and I often say, is the invisible D in diversity and inclusion because if you look at all sorts of hiring efforts, they don't often include disability in that definition. And two, people shy away from disability hiring, especially autism, because they don't quite know what they're getting. They don't realize that accommodations are co- aren't costly. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes, wow, it must be so expensive. It's like we have to get new parking spots. We have to do this. We have to do that. Well, you know, the average accommodation, according to the Department of Labor, is $500 max. Yeah. The average accommodation is $500 tops. Let me ask so, you, yeah. It's just something to really consider is it really, we have all these misconceptions which make it worse for people like me and my friends. Okay. Autism also has been referred to over various times by various people as sort of an invisible uh, disability, meaning mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people, first of all, it's a spectrum. So there's a range of uh, different mm-hmm. signs and symptoms and the way they might manifest in, in any individual is very different and can be extremely different from varying from one individual to the next. The other thing is that it's not, in many cases, it's not any, it's not something that can be identifiable um, by looking at somebody. Um, mm-hmm. There are people who I, I've understood from talking to people on the spectrum that there's different things that over time you may learn to, like you said before, sort of mask certain uh, stereotypes, you know, any number of things. And mm-hmm. then there are people who don't do that. And, and um, but again, it's not, it's not exactly... There's a difference between that and and considering the what accommodations would need to be made in in a business, for example, to employ somebody who's in a wheelchair. You know, you're looking at mm-hmm. more tangible sort of physical accommodations. So so, do you think that's also part of it too? That there's just generally still a lack of enough understanding of what autism really is and what it might mean, and that you really again, mm-hmm. it's about learning whether you, Haley, is a good match mm-hmm. for this position as opposed to wait, is autism a good match for this position? Is that a big part absolutely. of it? Okay, I think so, absolutely, and it goes back to what we've been saying in this community for a long time. If you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Mm-hmm. This is especially true in employment, and I think this is also where companies tend to miss the mark when they're actively recruiting us, is they think that no matter what, we might hit this subset of stereotypes or, or skill sets. A lot of the efforts that I see to hire people like me are in technology companies. Yeah, That's great. I'm glad technology companies want to hire us. I think that's wonderful, but as we know, I went to law school. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> Well, exactly. And so, also, and, and I think that that it makes things a little different. It, it makes things a little different when you look at it from that recruiting standpoint as yep. well as well. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a, I didn't major in science, math, engineering, technology, or any of that stuff. Right. I went to law school. Exactly. Are there still that same effort to recruit, for instance, or that same initiative going on in the legal profession? And when you look at it more broadly, the answer is no. Absolutely. And, and law, law has like the worst disability employment rate of everybody. Actually. Really? We, for, for attorneys with disabilities, it's 0.52%. I didn't know Are that. self-reported people with disabilities, according to the National Association of Law Placement. So our profession is notoriously missing the mark, especially as we know with disability generally, it's about one in five Americans. Wow. I didn't know that. What Do you, do you have any sense as to why uh, the, law, the, the legal profession would, would 
have that statistic associated with it? I think it's because it's a self-reported statistic, and a lot of people, for various reasons, as we've discussed even with openly autistic, will not disclose that they have a disability. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially because people might see it very broadly or very narrowly. They might see disability as just something physical, mm-hmm. while a lot of disability, as we know, is under this invisible disability umbrella, too. Think yeah. of all of our friends who have mental health conditions or a sure. seizure disorder, or they've had some kind of brain injury in their life, if they fall anywhere else in this neurodiverse umbrella or somewhere with mental illness or mental health, they also have disability, but it's not the same. It might, or they just don't disclose because they think it might not affect their work. Interesting. A learning disability or something might not have that same repercussion as, oh, I'm blind, I might need more assistance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, and you also raise an interesting point because I, I agree with you. The technology field um, has, you know, whether whether it's really based on all statistics or it's also that combined with kind of some media highlights and some really kind of um, uh, very impressive or, or big media covered stories about individuals and, and or certain companies um, purposely hiring people on the spectrum for, for specific reasons. The other thing that you highlight um, a little more subtly is that there are people with autism who have a range of interests and passions. There are people who mm-hmm. on the spectrum who who are in culinary school who might be looking to to go into teaching. Um, I just interviewed uh, a, a man whose son is also he's on the spectrum and his son is also on the spectrum and his son passed the real estate exam in New York City and is uh, mm-hmm. is practicing real estate in Brooklyn. Um, and that That's awesome. it is awesome. Um, and I think those are some stories that we really need to collectively try to highlight because you don't want to mm-hmm. inadvertently say, well, um, you know, technology is really the place for people with autism to go because that then potentially kind of compromises, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or um, I don't know, it lessens mm-hmm. the, the focus on the fact that, like and you said before, every, one person with autism mm-hmm. is one person with autism. It doesn't have anything to do with what their passions and interests and skills might be. Exactly. And it that it kind of erases the humanity of the spectrum when you say that yeah. everyone has to go into this one box. Mm-hmm. We don't do that to neurotypical people, do we? We don't just say, like, you know what, Eliza, every single person that's, like, a woman or every single person that seems to like to talk, we're just going to make them all radio hosts. It just, <laughs> right. When you say it like that, you're going to say, Haley, that sounds ridiculous. Exactly. And it does sound ridiculous, but that's what... I'm afraid if we don't actively make sure that we're make, we're embracing the diversity of the autism spectrum is going to happen, is that all these young people are going to be pigeonholed into something like STEM or something in engineering or the sciences or technology, when really we are just as diverse as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Even with women on the spectrum, it's something we don't talk enough about either. And I think about, okay, so I'm a woman on the spectrum. I'm in the legal field. It kind of really isn't any of the stereotypes. And I'm glad that I could also show that. Yeah. It's something that I take really seriously is, okay, so I don't fit these prescribed boxes of what we think that somebody who has fewer support needs on the spectrum has and what they look like. So mm-hmm. it really is a really exciting time because I do think that employers across all fields want to do better. I think everybody knows they need to, and they're just not sure how. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important for self-advocates to be out there and for us to show, well, neurodiverse, disabled, and people on the autism spectrum, all of us can do something great. We all can be part of this, and we have to do it together because if neurotypical people or non-disabled people don't open the doors for us, how are we going to get in? Right. You have to open the door for yourself. And, I, you know, I think I've been in the field for about 13 years, and I've seen just in that 13-year period a big change when it comes to especially, you know, younger professionals, uh, younger people 
kind of saying what you're saying, getting out there and saying, no, I'm cool with this. And, and I'm, but, uh, but I also recognize that I have an opportunity to advocate and, and to, um, to, to speak up about this and to pursue my dreams. And I, I love that. I think mm-hmm. that it's a very positive change. I also appreciate what you said about a lot of employers are starting to recognize that they need to change. It's a good thing to change. And now maybe the, mm-hmm. the, the switch is, so how do I do that? And what kind of models exactly. are out there for me to, to me to better understand what my options are? Um, we have to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to go a little bit more personal in terms of um, your sort of some of your earlier days growing up and, and going through college and and uh, and then pursuing your passion in law, uh, as mm-hmm. well as to touch on some of the um, publications that you've that you've written uh, to help others. So so we're going to go there in the second half of the show. Okay. This, this is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. For those diagnosed with autism, the right educational, vocational, and residential programs can optimize their quality of life. At Anderson Center for Autism, we offer all of that and more. We've got programs rooted in evidence-based practices that unlock potential. And we also have a palpable spirit of community that will make you and your loved one with autism feel right at home. Schedule a tour to see for yourself. Call 845-889-4034 or visit andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and this morning I'm speaking to Haley Moss, a uh, new lawyer in Miami, Florida, who is the first quote-unquote openly autistic uh, woman to be admitted to the Florida Bar Association. Um, Haley, you've been sharing with us a lot of your thoughts and and passion about employment uh, for people on the spectrum and and your efforts to, to, I think, help represent a group of people who you yourself are, are very open about uh, being on the autism spectrum and what that means and how employable you are and what you're passionate about when it comes to your career. But also, as you were just telling me off the air, um, your quote unquote fun job of, of getting out there and, and really being an advocate for um, people on the spectrum and, um, and, and what you're doing within the field of autism. So I thank you for that. But I want to go back a few years and see if you could share with us a little bit about, you know, your teenage years, you're going through high school, going through middle school, going through college and law school, um, mm-hmm. both some of the challenges you may have faced and also kind of how you overcame some of those. Uh, and I would be ex- specifically curious to know when your interest and passion for law came about and, and, and maybe why you think um, that's something that you decided to pursue as your career path. Okay. What, was your, what was your experience as a, young, a, a younger person um, like when you were going through school? I was always a happy kid. I think that's something important to say. So I have a absolutely wonderful family, and I know we always talk a lot about our families, and I love to talk about my family because they are the absolute best. They are my huge support system. They are my biggest cheerleaders and my best friends. So huge shout-out to mom and dad. So I was always happy. But okay. at school, was always a little bit different because, you know, you're not around your family all the time. And when I was in middle school, I went to three schools in three years by virtue of not being academically challenged and wanting something more. Mm-hmm. So that's how I became the middle school expert. And (laughs) when you go to three schools in three years and they're all kind of different from each other, you've seen it all. Right. And that's what happened with me. So I always struggled to make friends. So I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I still don't have a lot of friends. I know a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people like you and I talked about off the air, but that doesn't mean I have a ton of friends or that even after hypothetically, I'm not going to like go out with a group, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing to describe it because people go, you have tons of friends. You're friends with us. And I'm like, it's it's different. I think that's the best way to describe it. Hmm. And 
I always struggled socially, still do, very open about that. And in school, especially, I think with middle school and even school in general, and so many of the resources that we do have are written by parents and professionals. Mm-hmm. We don't hear from people on the spectrum as often as we should be. So the more I thought about it, especially as I've gotten older, if, if I'm able to help pave the way, if I'm able to help be that resource for somebody else on the spectrum, I did a good thing. Yeah. At first, I always thought if I helped one person with something that I went through, something that worked, something that didn't, I did my job. Mm-hmm. I've done that so many times over that I'm so blessed to know that I've probably made a difference in somebody's life when I wake up in the morning. That makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. But I also think I need to be. I want to be that person, like a big sister type, to somebody else on the spectrum who might be entering middle school right now or thinking about going to college. And knows that hey, this is possible. This girl did it. She's telling me what's hard, what wasn't hard, what she did well at, and it. I can relate to that. That mm-hmm. makes me feel good knowing that somebody might be able to get that out of it. So I always wanted to be that resource, even as I think about it, because people always ask, are you going to write about law school? And I think, I don't know if enough how many people on the spectrum go to law school, but I'd love to be able to show that it's possible. I'd love to be able to encourage people to go pursue higher education if it's something that might be in their cards. I think that's something really valuable. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think about writing about more as time goes on, too. I think that's what I really want to do is be that resource, especially – since people on the spectrum most certainly deserve that seat at the table in the conversation about us. I, you know, I, I appreciate everything you're sharing. I've, I do have a question. I've, Two questions, actually. One is, when did you develop, when did you first remember sort of that feeling of, uh, or decision that you, you wanted to pursue law as a career? Is that, is that something you've thought about for a long time? You're going to be shocked when I say it was not something I thought about for a long time. So really? I actually thought I was going to be a doctor oh. once upon a time. Once upon a time, my life goal was to be a psychiatrist because I thought nothing would be cooler than, you know, being a psychiatrist, getting to diagnose people, getting to be a real doctor and an MD, getting to do all this stuff. I thought it was like the coolest thing and so up until probably about my freshman year of college. Is That's what my life goal was. There's actually interview on record of me when I was in high school saying I was going to become a psychiatrist someday. Really? I Yeah, but I did stick with majoring in psychology because I thought it was interesting. And mm-hmm. when you don't naturally understand people, what's the best way to do that other than to find out the logical way of understanding how the human brain works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also picked up a second major in criminology and law. But what made me actually want to go to law school and become a lawyer is I thought about what do I like? That's the best way I think to decide is what makes you excited? What do you love to do? Yeah, I love to write. I love to write. And I love to talk to people. And I knew no matter what I did as a career, it had to help others. It had to make a difference in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. I had to be able to give back. And when I logically put it all together, I ended up with lawyer. Okay. So lawyers lawyers write a lot. We talk a lot. And we have the potential to make a difference in somebody's life every single day. Yeah. And and are you finding that that's the case? Are Are you living the dream, so to speak? I am. I do still write a lot, even if it's research or a memo or a motion, whatever it is that goes on in law practice. I get to write a lot. I get to research a lot, which is also something I happen to love. I get to talk a lot, whether we go to court or it's with clients or it's with someone like you or it's my fun job as well. My real job, my fun job often intersect, which is Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, and I know that I'm helping somebody every day, whether it's a corporation or a human being, I know that I'm able to help somebody every single day. And that keeps me getting out of bed in the morning and that keeps me excited. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, I, I think um, it's always it's always wonderful to hear the people in the legal profession are coming at it from that perspective. So fantastic. And again, congratulations to you. Um, I do have a follow-up question. I, I've had the pleasure of interviewing a couple of other lawyers uh, who, mm-hmm. who, uh, have a, who are on the autism spectrum 
that and makes pretty me much, so happy. Oh yeah. Um, who who? There's one in particular who's local to this area um, in in mm-hmm. the Hudson Valley of New York. Um, however, most of the lawyers that I've interviewed who uh, want to come on this show or want to talk about the fact that they are on uh, also on the autism spectrum um, are specifically have gone into the f- the the field of of like um, special needs like, and mm-hmm. so they stay very close to home, kind of. And and, yeah. and what and and it's interesting because what they, when when we talk about why, you know, what, what they want to talk about to promote their, their work or to, to encourage people to, to mm-hmm. reach out to them for support. A lot of it is, I know what it's like. I've lived through this. I know what you're going through. Um, you seem to, you, you chose an area of law that unless I'm missing something is not, at least it's not that directly correlated. Um, what do you, I mean, is that just, is, is that you following your passion for a specific kind of law? Um, do you have an understanding about why somebody would be compelled to want to kind of to help the people that are that they really identify with very very mm-hmm. closely in terms of autism. I do actually. I, here's the thing: when I first went to law school, I thought that I'd be doing policy. You I did. thought that I would be doing disability policy actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I realized what the funny thing is: I had the opposite problem that a lot of my other autistic lawyer friends have as well. And I have a lot of friends who also are lawyers on the spectrum who do work in disability rights or special education. Mm -hmm. I think when you were talking about the lawyer local to you, you might have been talking about one of my friends. But I think what happened with me, I also like to advocate differently. I like to be able to stand up for our people in our population in a different way. I like to keep my job, I guess, so to speak, separate. I also Mm -hmm. think that the area of law I'm in plays well to what I'm interested in and and what my strengths are. I look at millions of documents, millions of lines of data every single day, too, and I'm able to make sense of it and do things that feel really cool, and I think it's a lot of fun, and I know that I'm helping people, just not always the people that I expect. I also did think, when I briefly did work in disability rights, is it was too close to home. Mm-hmm. We talk about all the time about how people on the autism spectrum may or may not be empathetic, and I felt that I was too empathetic. That's interesting. All I remember is I came home, and I couldn't stop thinking about these people. Yeah. And it was just too, it was so much emotionally that I'm like, I don't think I could do this as a career. I don't think that I can work in special education when I'm thinking about, I didn't even work in special education. I worked more in housing rights at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember all I would think about is I'm thinking about this person. I'm hoping they don't get evicted. I'm hoping she might not have a seizure. I'm thinking about these people mm-hmm. just constantly. And I realized I won't be an effective lawyer. I won't be an effective advocate if all I'm thinking about is that. I won't be thinking about the issue at hand because I'm too concerned, because I'm too empathetic, and it will cloud the logic. It will cloud the what you need to be a good lawyer as well. I think it's important to be able to empathize with clients and understand what they're going through, and especially if you've been in their shoes before. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's another thing when it becomes too emotional that you're thinking more with your heart than your head because there is something that you have to be a little bit logical sure. as a lawyer, too, and you have to be able to do the research and have the facts. And if the facts and the research are stacked against that person that you're so deeply empathetic with, how do you tell them that? How do you still be an effective advocate when you know that something might not be on their side, no matter how strongly you believe in them as a human? Well, I think that's something that I think about a lot. So that's why for me, it's better to be able to advocate on the human level and not at the legal level, because even getting to talk policy or, hey, we need to do better in employment. 
is not the same as representing somebody who's been discriminated against. Right, right. And you can I, go, that's just wrong. And then you realize, well, it might might have been an at-will place or whatever, and they had the right to do that or something like that. It's a little bit different than I, saying, let's change, let's change the policy because I'm invested in this personally. I think you've said that all very beautifully and made a lot of sense. You, it sounds also like to me that you've uh, struck a, a, a lovely balance between um, your professional career or, or your two jobs, as you put it, um, your job <laughs> in, in the field of law and then your advocacy work um, in, in, mm-hmm. in the autism community. Um, and, and I have to say, just just as we close, I just want to also say that I think you um, and your choice about which part of which kind of law you went into practice um, mm-hmm. is advocating still in a different way because it's also reminding all of us that um, mm-hmm. if you're a professional and you're on the autism spectrum, you do not necessarily... Uh, you know, need to feel pressure to go into some sort of aspect of that field that has to do mm-hmm. with autism. Um, you can do it exactly. all. And, and um, you know, I believe that you're going to continue to be successful. I wish you the best. I, I have to Thank close you. the show. But um, but it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Haley Moss, I'm sure if you um, look up Haley Moss, um, Miami, Florida, you can find you um, and find some of the publications that you've done. You can also find me at HaleyMoss.net. Wonderful. HaleyMoss.net. And Haley Moss, thank you so much for being on 1 in 59 today. Good luck with everything you're doing now and into the future. Thank you so much. All right. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And uh, remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 